Okay, we'll start. Welcome to the 99 classes. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the class and then uh, we'll start. Uh, in 1999, the goal is to review uh, the last five or six years of classes that we've had. Uh, my goal when I started, uh, you know, six years ago was to take uh, American people for the first time through the whole Geshe course. This is the course that a Tibetan monk does for 18 years. Uh, and I thought maybe we could do it in five, six years. I called it the five-year course for a while and then it became clear that it wasn't gonna finish. Uh, anyway, so people in this class have been through all the major subjects of Buddhism, the five great books, which is the perfection of wisdom, uh, the middle way, Madhyamika, uh, Pramana or logic, and perceptual theory. Uh, they've been to Vinaya and they've been to Abhidharma. And those are the five great subjects. Then we threw in Lamrim for free. Uh, so there were six great subjects. And, and people have been through those. Uh, the goal in 1999 is to, is to review uh, all of those courses. That's about three or four thousand pages of material that was translated uh, for those courses. Uh, you'll be going through uh, a three-month course at the rate of uh, w one every two nights. Okay. <laughs> All right. So necessarily, it's going to be packed. And uh, I've tried to select the most important things, but I hate to leave things out. I'd rather overwhelm you than leave things out. So it's a lot. Okay. Uh, some people told me they felt very relaxed because uh, it was a review class. <laughs> and then uh, Ora was trying to print out the reading, which was too long to print out tonight, so you won't get it tonight. It'll be uh, Tuesday, but it was too long. And anyway, it's, I think the first reading is 70 pages or something, okay? Uh, and this is going to be a, a kick-butt class, okay? It's the homework is the longest homework ever done, the first one, okay? <laughs> Seriously, all right? And you're going to have to work hard. Uh, I want to make one thing clear at the outset. Uh, I consider that any person who makes it through 99 uh, would make a pretty good teacher eventually of Buddhism. So I want you to be, I want to go into my retreat feeling that you're qualified. And that's going to mean uh, feeding you a lot of stuff and you're going to have to work really hard. Okay? We had a rule in this class that was abused for several years that if you miss two classes, two classes okay. If you miss three, you can't come back until the next session, which is in, I don't know, when is it? June or something, okay? Something like that. Uh, so we're going back to that rule very strictly, and I want to make a, a pledge, okay? You cannot get into this class uh, at 7 o'clock if you don't have your homework from the last class, okay? Just so don't even try, okay? Stillwell's going to be there with a gun or something, <laughs> and uh, you can't get in. You won't be able to get in, okay? period. If you miss the class, you can bring last homework, right? See what I mean? But you can't get into this class after tonight uh, without your homework, alright? And you will have to take a quiz. Uh, you'll be breaking out into discussion groups at a certain point, and if you don't have your quiz, you'll have to leave, okay? So, period. And I don't care if we lose 35, I mean, 75% of the people, it's okay. I'd rather have 10 people who really know their stuff, and at least I know who they are then have, uh, you know, 150 people. And I thought a lot about it because I'm going to miss you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
I feel better when there's a big group. I feel like I'm a success. But I, uh, this, on this one, I'm going to do it that way. Okay? Uh, you must do the homework. And it's hard. It's going to be a lot. Okay? And uh, you don't get into class next Tuesday uh, without this homework in your hot little hand. Okay? And very uh, clear about it. Okay? From the beginning. And I'll lose maybe half of you. That's okay. But the half that stay will be really good. I encourage you to do it. Okay? You'll never get a chance like this again. Uh, in 1999, you'll be able to go through the whole Geshe course. And I, I don't think you'll get a chance like this again. Okay? I'm going on three-year retreat after that. Um, you will miss the classes. And, and you'll, you'll regret it if you miss 99, I think. Uh, 99 will equip you to have a really good future in your life. Uh, and if you miss it, I think, I think you'll be sorry after about a year. You know, you'll, it'll occur to you that you really blew it. Okay, so I encourage you to really try hard. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, March 2000. Uh, I'll be going into three-year retreat, silent, uh, with one exception. I'll be coming out twice a year for three weeks to teach in Arizona. Uh, you know, like a 20-day course or something. So. Uh, I want you to know, we'll give you the dates and you're welcome to come for that. Also, we've been, we had a small team uh, working out there the last two months. We worked really, really hard and we have a commitment for uh, 100 acres from a sponsor there. So this is a really beautiful piece of incredibly quiet, high desert, very cool, nice, at the foot of a beautiful mountain that looks just like Sarah. And uh, having that much property means that if there's anybody in this room who's remotely interested in going out there during the three years and doing a six-week retreat or, or a one-month retreat or a three-month retreat or a two-year and 364-day retreat or whatever you want, uh, you're quite welcome to, uh, to come and talk about that possibility. Okay? Uh, we'll be having a meeting at 6th Street from 5 to 8 o'clock on this Sunday. Okay, so that's when we're going to present the whole idea and you'll have a chance to see about it and you can decide if you want to try to come out okay, at, during some period. I believe we'll have a situation where you can either build an adobe place for yourself or you can live in a yurt or you can live in a tent or something like that. But any, whatever option you like, uh, you can come out and, and participate in some way. Okay, so that'll be this Sunday, 5 to 8 at, uh, at 6th Street. Okay. We need a lot of help out there. We need a lot of people to participate. Uh, the idea is to start with some retreat cabins and then uh, expand it to be the equivalent of Sarah Monastery along with the Mongolian additions. In Mongolia, you did your 18 years of study, you got your Geshe degree, and then you moved across the square to the medical college and became a Tibetan doctor. And after four or five years of that, you moved over to the Sacred Dance College and became a dancer. And then you moved over to the Sacred Art College and learned to paint tankas. And then you went over to the Tantric College and learned all of the Tantric systems. And the Mongolians were the best. I mean, the best books we have are by the, the Mongolian Tantric masters. So the idea is to build a place like that where American people can get uh, a training like that. And and then part of the idea is that there will be large home sites for people who want to just live there, uh, either most of the year or all year. I, I'm personally thinking that I'd probably like to be there half the year and be here half the year after the three-year retreat. I think New York has a great energy, 
and I think we can attract uh, good people here. And then I think also, if you're going to get your rear end enlightened in this lifetime, you have to have a, a very silent retreat place where you can go uh, and do your retreats. So, so that's the proposal. Uh, in one uh, proposal to us by the owners of that land, uh, they're offering us 9,000 acres uh, to do this thing for the next couple hundred years. So it's really amazing, and they're very much into it. Uh, they're just some cowboys who happened to be at Sarah Monastery in Tibet last year and decided they liked it, you know, okay? But we need help. We need a lot of help. We need people, like I'm thinking, can do stained glass, people who can do woodwork, people who can do adobe, people who can do finance, people who can translate, uh, people who can raise money. And uh, we need all those things there. We need a lot of help. And there'll be a lot of cool things going on. So the idea is to build a, a, a Mongolian version of a Tibetan monastery, which has eight colleges like that. Uh, and that you could undertake, you know, you could go there and become a real Tibetan doctor and not just fool around uh, with, you know, a few Tibetan things. You know, like you spend five years and come out and you're a doctor. You know what I mean? Something like that. So uh, if that appeals to you, come Sunday and we'll talk about it, okay? Uh, and I encourage you to, to, to do the work, okay? Uh, you'll feel very good, and you will know Buddhism backwards and forwards. You'll know everything about Buddhism in this, in 1999. If you really work hard, uh, you'll have a very, very beautiful foundation for when you do your long retreat out in Arizona, okay? All right. This is auspicious. The emptiness of the light bulb <laughs> Got one? <coughs> okay, anyway, he'll fix it. Uh, the first uh, course of the 15 courses we taught here in the last six years uh, was called The Principal Teachings of Buddhism. And this comes from a very famous uh, book. It's actually only about three, four pages that were written to one of his students by Jetson Kappa. Uh, Jetson Kappa is the teacher of the first Dalai Lama. Uh, he wrote 10,000 pages of amazing Buddhist books. People say he was taking dictation for Manjushri, which seems probable, because no human being could do that in, in 60 years, like he, he did. Uh, so we're going to go through, the first two sessions are going to be the whole uh, commentary to Jetson Kappa's book. The book is called The Three Principal Paths, and I'll write it for you. Say Lamso. Namsum. Lamso. Namsum. Okay. The basic goal in this uh, lifetime for you, and, and the whole uh, process I'm trying to drag you through, is uh, to see emptiness directly. On the day that you see emptiness directly, you directly perceive your own enlightenment. You directly perceive the day that you will become a Buddha. And you will be. Uh, you directly perceive how long it will take. You directly perceive uh, the Buddha. Okay? And all, after that night, all questions are a moot point. You know, after the moment, it takes 20 minutes or so, in deep meditation that you see emptiness directly, everything's over with. You, you're on your way out. Everything is totally different. Your whole life is totally changed. You met an enlightened being. You know they exist for the first time. You see your own enlightenment. You see how many lifetimes it will take. You know everything that's contained in the scriptures within 20 minutes. You know, hundreds of thousands of pages become totally transparent to you in 
in 20 minutes. Uh, the whole point of these courses and the whole point of doing retreats and, and, and meditating, practicing, is to have that 20 minutes happen to you. Okay? Uh, it can only be triggered by intense study. Okay? That's just a Buddhist principle and anyone who tells you different, it's not correct. Okay? It can only be triggered by studying very intensely, deeply, uh, the principles of emptiness and the things we're going to talk about tonight. So, the purpose of studying what we're going to study this year is to get you ready to trigger that experience later when you, when you get into deep meditational states, which is much better in Arizona. It's quieter, okay? <laughs> I don't think it's easy to do in New York City. It's possible, I think, but it's very difficult, okay? Um, so, the book we're going to be studying the first two nights is a summary of all the steps you have to take. Uh, Lam means path. I said that in Brisbane and everybody looked up to me. I said, path. And they go, I said, path. And they said, oh. <laughs> okay, path. Lam to, to means principle or main, primary. People mistranslate this word and call it principle P-L-E. It doesn't mean that. It's P-A-L means the primary path. Okay? Lam to. Nam means the three. The three different main path, okay? The three main paths. In Buddhist philosophy, a path means a stage of realization. For example, the day that you finally get true disgust with the suffering of your life, you will have reached the first of the five stages of Buddhism. And that's a lam. You see what I mean? In other words, it's a mental condition. It's not, uh, it's not like the, the path that lays ahead of you or something like that. It's a thought. It's an attitude, okay? And when you achieve it, it's achieved in your mind. So the three principal paths. Okay. This book was written by... By the way, those of you who are new, uh, you don't have to write the Tibetan on your homework. Okay. Uh, you can do English, that's fine. Sooner or later you should learn the Tibetan. Say, Jay. Jay. Tsongkhapa. Jay Tsongkhapa. Jay Tsongkhapa. is the teacher of the first Dalai Lama. We have another one? You're so lucky. Uh, the teacher of the first uh, Dalai Lama, and, and again, uh, sort of a sidekick of Manjushri. And everything, some people say he was Manjushri. Uh, but anyway, he wrote an amazing amount of things. And he basically, he or his students founded all the great monasteries of Plaza, all the great monasteries of central Tibet. Sarah Debung and Gandhan. Also Tashin Humbo. Uh, and his dates are 1357 to 1419. Okay. You're going to be getting a reading, hopefully, uh, which is a commentary on this book. By the way, this book is so popular that almost every time the Dalai Lama comes to teach somewhere, he'll choose this book. Okay? This book is about four pages long. It was a letter of instruction written to one of his disciples who he said, uh, could you go out to East Tibet and found a hundred monasteries and come back when you're finished? You know? like, and he did. Okay? His name was Tsako uh, Umbo. I'll spell it for you. Okay? Uh, T-S-A-K-O W-O-N-P-O Okay, Tsako Umbo Tsako Umbo means uh, the priest or the prior the friar from uh, Tako and he was uh, uh, a, a disciple of Jetsunkapa You're going to be studying a commentary to that book by Pabonko Rinpoche Okay, it's P-A-B O-N-G K-A 
P A Pabonka. I'm sorry. Just leave it Pabonka. P A B O N G K A. Okay, Pabonka in Uh He's famous for writing a, a book that's very popular in the West right now called Liberation in the Palm of Your Hands or something like that. Okay. And he was a teacher of our root lama. Okay? He was a teacher of Ken Rinpoche. Alright? Okay. His dates are 1878 Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the three principal paths and what they are. So three ideas you have to get straight in your mind if you're going to get enlightened. What does enlightened mean? Yeah. Oh no, the commentary's name is, we've translated it as the principal teachings of Buddhism. Okay. And uh, that's the contents of this little book that we, you've seen, but we're going to give you the Tibetan and the English put together. Okay, and you're going to get the selections from the whole thing. We didn't have time to do it tonight, and you're going to get it on Tuesday. Uh, but this is a, a book on the three principal paths, and I want to go over the three principal paths. Okay, these are three spiritual states that you have to get to in this lifetime if you want to get out of suffering. Okay, if you want to become a Buddha. What does suffering mean? Very simply, uh, if you count up all the good things that have happened to you in this life, you know, if I say, count your blessings, you know, and you say, oh, life's not so bad. I had a guy today, he was arguing with me that life's not so bad. You know, he was, uh, he's the president of this big company, and we had this long debate, and uh, he invited me to come and have a debate with him. And, and he said, life's not so bad, you know, I got money, I'm still healthy, uh, you know, I'm not, so, I'm not so old yet. You know, not so bad. You know, so he's counting the good things in his life. And this is, he's, he's the head of a big company. Um, he's still pretty healthy. He has a good mind. He has a good wife. His mother's still alive, although she's senile. You know what I mean? But he's counting these things as the good things of his life. This is what he lives for. This is why his life is not so bad. And, and it's amazing that here's an intelligent man... 60 years old, 55 years old, intelligent, not stupid, owns a big company, sensitive, spiritual, spiritually minded. And it doesn't occur to him that, that his fate, inevitably, is to get old, die, lose all the money he's worked for every single day, uh, lose all that property. Do you know how long it takes for your kids to sell your house? You know, <laughs> it's amazing, you know, it's incredible. All that equity that you build up, so many years of work, you know, it doesn't usually take more than like a month, you know, and then all those years of work are just canceled. They blow the money usually, you know that, and it's all, it's all over. You, you will lose your health, inevitably. You will lose your intelligence. I have people say, I don't care if I get sick as long as I can think straight. Well, you lose that just after that, you know what I mean? Like, if you live long enough, you will be some mindless person in a nursing home. And if you don't think so, go to a nursing home. That's why nobody wants to go to a nursing home. 
Nobody, nobody, nobody goes to nursing homes unless uh, grandma's still there and she still has some money you could inherit. You know what I mean? But nobody likes to go because it's so depressing because that's what your future is if you live long enough. You know, so everything you'll lose, your body, uh, your mind, your money, your friends. Shortly after that, you lose your name. People don't remember what you looked like. People come with your picture, they're cleaning out that house, second generation. And they're like, whose picture is this? They say, I don't know. So throw it out. You know, and they throw it out. And they don't even remember your name anymore. And that's it. You won't remember your name either. You won't stop. Your mind will go on. And, and you won't recall what your name was. And you won't be able to remember what you looked like. And you'll be in some other realm. And that's, that's what you have to look forward to and nothing else. Now, that's the, that's the, it's your career. This is where it's going, you know. Where did you think I mean, it was going to stop after the vice presidency? You know, I mean, is it going to stop after 10 years and just stop there and you'll stay the same age or something like that? I mean, you have to look ahead a little bit. So the first of the three paths is to admit that. It's called nendrum, okay, renunciation. Okay, the, the knowledge that this is, this is what your life is going to be. Okay. By the way, there's a principle behind it, which is karma, okay? All things wear out. Why? Because all things are produced by karma, okay? So, like, I used to get upset uh, when my girlfriend started to change in high school, you know? First, they seemed so nice. After six months, they seemed like monsters, you know? And uh, I thought it was me, you know? Uh, luckily, I found out, you know, it's just your karma. Okay? Any good thing you get wears out because your karma wears out. And you can't keep anything, okay? The things that have produced your life, the things that have produced your face and your money and your job and your family is wearing out as we speak. And it just wears out, okay? And then you lose them. And it happens with everything. So to get that idea in your mind, when you really get that idea in your mind, you're on the first path. I think everyone in this room has some kind of level of renunciation. Like everybody in this room is here for some kind of reason, you know? Uh, the best Buddhists I know, they had some terrible death in the family or, or something like that. Someone they know got sick, they were in a terrible accident, they lost somebody else. Almost all the great Buddhists I know are, are working off of that. And oftentimes I don't think it's conscious, it's subconscious. You know, like, they start to get, get interested in spiritual things early because of some disaster in their lives. Lots of old people get interested in spiritual things and you see old people in churches and synagogues because they know the score. You know, and they're not fooling themselves anymore. But usually for a young person to do it is hard. And, and I think you have it to some extent. But you have to try to cultivate it more and get it stronger to the point where you're not fooling yourself anymore and you go after the big time stuff. You know, you go after becoming enlightened. And then your body changes. And we don't call it karma anymore. The things that are producing your body and your mind and your face and your identity are something different and they don't wear out and your body, your whole life changes. You can become a being who doesn't have to go through all the things I said. But at first you have to know that not to put all your effort into this, this worldly thing that's not going to work. It just doesn't work. The best you can do is die rich. Okay? It just doesn't work. Okay? And to admit it. I mean, it's very logical. It's very hard to do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a job. You should have an honest living. That's part of Buddhism. I'm not saying you shouldn't have money. If you have lots of money, you can help more people. It's a good thing, okay? I'm just saying this is not the main things you want to work for. You want to use your resources, your life, your health, your money, your intelligence, 
put them into something useful, like like getting enlightened, which you can do. Okay, certain number of people in this room will do it in this lifetime, and you can. Lots of American people. I had some guy arguing with me today. You know, oh, Americans can't do it. You know, only Milarepa and, and Moses and and people like that. We're just normal American people. Forget it. You know, the beauty of Tibetan Buddhism is it's an instruction book. You follow the instructions, you get enlightened. Any normal American can do it. Seriously. Conversely, if you don't do it, you won't get enlightened, and you'll be in the obituaries. You know, so it's your choice. You know, really. Okay. Um. I'm going to write the words for renunciation in Tibetan. And this is the first of the principal paths. Say Nyanjung. Nyanjung. Nyanjung is the Tibetan word for renunciation. I don't know if renunciation is such a good word. When I hear renunciation, I think of, you know, uh, Christian monks in the Middle Ages uh, in a little cell or something like that. It's not like that. You can be a businessman in a big company. Uh, and working a normal job and still have very good renunciation. Renunciation means uh, I recognize that it's only the spiritual things that are important. You know, I recognize that although I, I can have a good job and a good family and everything else, I have to find the solution for those problems in this lifetime. I have to find that out before I die. And I can. And that's renunciation. Uh, means uh, the day that you think day and night about getting out of suffering and you don't worry anymore about good things in this life so much then you've got renunciation okay? so can you want money? of course bodhisattvas want lots of money they can do more things for people and they use it every penny for other people that's fine uh, should you want money for yourself to save and to store up and to have and to use it for yourself or something like that? No, stupid. You'll die. And, and the kids will spend it. Okay? Don't kid yourself. You know what I mean? So that's renunciation. Okay. The Dalai Lama was the richest person in Tibet. His house had 400 rooms in it. You know, did he have renunciation? Yeah. Okay? Because he didn't... He used to say, the last Dalai Lama said... I only own two things. I own my bell and my dorje, you know. I own these two things. I don't own anything else. I don't have anything else. The rest belongs to other people. It's not mine, okay? And that's like your attitude, okay? All right, the second path. Say, Changchu. Ki. Sem. Changchu, Ki. Sem. Changchu means uh, Bodhi, okay? Buddha, Bodhi, okay? It means enlightenment. Sam means mind. Okay? Some people translate this as Bodhi mind. The Sanskrit is Bodhicitta. Okay? Not Bodhicitta. Okay? Bodhicitta. What does Bodhicitta mean? Very simply, the wish to get enlightened yourself so that you can really help other people. Okay? It's much easier to help other people when you can see the next 3,000 years clearly in your mind, which is what a Buddha can do. It's much easier to help other people if you can read their minds and see their future for the next zillion years. Okay? Very efficient. Much better than us struggling. It's much easier to help people if you can emanate trillions of bodies on trillions of planets at the same time to help people. Okay? So the idea is get there first and then help other people. Okay? The job that you swear 
to do when they swear you in as a bodhisattva is, uh, I will, to the best of my ability, uh, reach total ecstasy and paradise as quickly as possible so I can help other people. Okay, that's your promise. You know, this whole idea that bodhisattvas wander around life uh, and, and, and wait to get enlightened so they can help other people is a, is a, is a dharma, dharma rumor. It's not true. Okay, no such thing. I mean, are you going to wait to get enlightened so you can... You're going to wait to have a trillion bodies to help other people uh, and wander around in one and try to help people like that? It doesn't make sense. You see what I mean? The day you become a Buddha, you're able to, to show yourself as thousands of different people in New York City. You know, half the people on the subway today could have been enlightened beings trying to teach you something. And no problem at all. It could have been one enlightened being emanating that many bodies. Okay? So Bodhisattva's job is to get to that point as fast as possible. Uh, that point happens to be total bliss and ecstasy. So, you know, why not? You cover two things at once. You know, you help everybody else and you become total... You reach a state of permanent total ecstasy. And I had a big debate with some people today. They said, oh, that sounds very selfish. I said, come on, are you... What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You know, you should... Uh, this Christian thing where you beat yourself with a stick or something like that? I mean, the best thing you can do for other people is to get enlightened and to get to a Buddha paradise. And it happens to be the best thing you can do for yourself. Okay? Now, just because it happens to be the best thing you can do for yourself doesn't make it ignoble. <clears throat> it's a very noble thing. In Buddhism, the best thing you can do for other people is to become totally happy yourself. And then teach other people to do it. Okay? And don't, don't, think any, don't uh, get that baggage from the Middle Eastern religions. Okay? It's not like that. You don't have to suffer to help other people. Okay? You can go to pure, perfect enlightenment in your Buddha paradise and be very, very more capable of helping other people. So bodhicitta is that. Chanchu gisem is that. Okay? People translate it as bodhi mind and then some people think, oh, it means uh, the mind of a Buddha. Is it or not? No, it's the wish to get enlightened. Okay? It's the intention to get enlightened. It's not the, the mind of a Buddha. Okay? It's about a, it's about a zillion years before that. Okay? if you don't use Tantra, okay? I mean, it's a long time before that. Seriously, okay? So, it's not a Buddha's mind, okay? That comes later. This is the thought, I want to become a Buddha so I can really help other people, okay? That's, that's what bodhicitta means. That's what bodhi-mind means, okay? The third of the uh, three principal paths, say, Yandabe, Tawa. Yandabe. Tawa. Yandaba means pure. Okay? Correct. Tawa means your world view. The way you view the world. Okay? The way you think about the world. And this is the third principle path. Okay? The third path, the third level of realization that you must get to in this life is to understand emptiness. And that's what correct view means. You have to understand emptiness. Okay, Yandapitawa means a worldview based on an understanding of emptiness. Okay? A way of seeing things based on emptiness. Okay? We'll talk a lot about emptiness uh, in the next class. Okay? I'm not going to try to cover it now. 
had a big fight with this guy today. <laughs> you know, we had a, you know, this guy purposely came to one of my classes. He's very wealthy and, he said, and he's very interested in Buddhism. And he says, I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to debate with you. And he brought a Tibetan scholar from Virginia just to back him up, you know. And I said, okay, we'll take him on, you know. This is the old Buddhist way of ancient India, you know. We'll kick ass and see who can out-debate the other. You know, and he got on one side of the table, I got on the other side of the table, and he starts asking questions. He says, uh, something like, I said, what do you think are the causes for an air, airplane crash? You know, he's talking about airplane crashes. And I, I said, what do you think are the causes? He says, oh, the, the, the wing gets weak or the, or, you know, the tire blows out or the engine stops or something like that. And I said, are, are there any other causes there? And he says, no. And I said, so, so some people get in a plane and it falls down and some people don't get in a plane and it doesn't fall down, okay? Uh, is there a reason for that? Is that an event? And he says, yes, it's an event. Some people got in, some people didn't get in. Some people's plane fell down, some people's plane didn't fall down. So I said, is that an event? He said, yes, it's an event. And I said, does it have a cause? He says, yes, it has a cause. All things, all events have a cause. So I said, well, then why did some people fall down and other people didn't fall down? Oh, well, their wing fell off and their engine stopped. I said, no, 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 we finished that already. You see what I mean? We already talked about how the plane fell down. You didn't tell me why the plane fell down. Get it? You see what I mean? That that plane falls down is due to a bad engine or, or a bad wing or something like that. But why are these people in the plane and those people are not in the plane? You see, it's a different question. You're not saying, why did the plane fall down? You're saying, why were these people on the plane and other people weren't on the plane? And you don't ask that question anymore. People don't ask that question anymore. They just say, oh, it's bad luck, you know. It's just random, you know. They, they, they bought tickets on Icelandic Air and they bought tickets on Kuwaiti Air and, you know, they had a problem. And you say, but why did they go to that travel agent? They say, come on, you can't answer those things. Then you say, is it an event? They say, yes. Then you say, so it has a cause, right? And you say, yes. So it's not random, right? Oh, oh no, no, some things are random and some things have causes. You know, and, and it's like that, you know. Worldview of emptiness is different. You know, worldview of emptiness is explaining all of the events. And then you have to study it. Okay? You can't be a Buddhist if you don't study worldview and if you don't study emptiness. Why do things happen? Why are you here? How did you get here? What, what's going on here? Can you become a Buddha or not? Is there future life or not? Okay? Or are you just going to live here and die in New York City? You know what I mean? Is that, well, how's it going to go? And, and are there reasons for that and can you change them? Okay. So that's worldview. Okay. Those are the three principal paths. These three principal paths turn you into an enlightened being. They make you change. And anybody in this room can change. You know, this guy that I'm talking about today, which is still fresh in my mind, it's like a four hour, five hour debate. He owns like 600 rare Tibetan paintings all over his house. They're, they're hanging up all over the house. So I said, uh, what are those paintings of? And he says, oh, this is Manjushri, this is Chennai Sik, this is uh, Vajapani, you know, this is uh, so-and-so, you know. So I said, so are they, are they real people or are they just pictures, you know? And he says, they're just pictures, you know. So I, said, so I said, yeah, so there's nobody like that, right? There's no person that was Manjushri and there's no person who's Avalokiteshvara. And he says, no, 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 they're just pictures, you know. So I said, why do you keep them here? You know, what's the point? Why do you put up these pictures and you don't put up other pictures, you know? He says, well, they're so beautiful, you know, they're, they're so nice, they're so special, you know. I said, look, get it. These are real people, you know. They exist, they live, they still live. You can be like that. That's the whole point of painting them, you know. You, 
You don't have to live like this uh, president of an insurance company and die somewhere and have more expensive coffin than other people. You know what I mean? You can, you can be the people in those paintings all over your house. You know, that's the, why do people paint them? You know, and he's like, wow, I didn't think of that. You know, and, and uh, so how do you connect uh, those people to the three principal paths? Okay, what's the connection between an enlightened being like Manjushri and the three principal paths? I'm going to get into that. Okay, to get into that, you have to break down an enlightened being into two parts. What? Physical part and mental part. Okay, we're going to talk about the mental part and the physical part of a Buddha. They call them the two bodies of a Buddha. It's a misnomer. Okay, it's not like they have to buy four pairs of socks. Or, okay, uh, body in this case means part. Okay, so when they talk about two bodies or three bodies or four bodies of a Buddha, they mean the two parts or the three parts or the four parts of a Buddha. So we're going to talk. We're going to reduce it to two parts of a Buddha: their physical part and their mental part. And then we're going to try to connect the three paths to that. Here's the first one. Say suku. Suku. By the way, in Sanskrit, and I, I don't want to load you up with a lot of Sanskrit. I don't care if it's English, Sanskrit, Tibetan. To me, it doesn't matter at all. Okay? If you know what it is, who cares what you call it? You can call it Boogaloo. Okay? Uh, it happens to be, uh, but I want to put it because you might hear it a lot. It's called Rupakaya. What will you look like when you get enlightened? How is it different from your body now? This body is born to die. Okay? This body is... Uh, is a bunch of uh, flesh, bones, blood. Uh, looks pretty solid until you get cancer and then you start looking at it a different way. Okay? It's a big bag of time bombs waiting to happen. If one thing doesn't kill you, something else will and you're already carrying it around with you. The seeds for your death are already parked in your body, underneath your skin. It's no beautiful machine of nature. Okay? It's an accident waiting to happen. And, and someday, if something outside you doesn't kill you, it will kill you. Okay? One of the organs will stop. The organs in Tibetan medicine are working against each other. The heart is doing one function that works against the lungs. Uh, the lungs are doing a function that works against the stomach. And anytime one of them gets the upper hand, if, if, if you go out of balance, you'll die. Okay? If the heart gets too strong, if the, if the lungs fill up with water, if the stomach does something, they'll actually kill you. If you don't get killed from the outside, you're going to get killed from the inside. That's a human body. That's the miracle of the human body. Okay? Uh, an enlightened being's body is different. Okay? Your human body has a very subtle core in it, which is made up of what we call, you know, chakras, winds, and drops. Okay? Tantric system. You have an inner, invisible, physical body going on with your body now. Okay? You can't, if you cut a person open, you don't see it. Okay? Uh, in the process of tantric practice, you actually transform your body. And this body starts to change into a tantric deity's body. Okay? So it's not like you're just sitting there and trying to picture Manjushri. Or, I mean, the, the practice is not to sit there and try to, try to imagine a guy with four heads and six arms and purple and green and red and all that. It's not the point. At some point in your spiritual career, due to your good karma, due to keeping your vows, uh, due to acting kindly towards other people, due to compassion, your own body will start to change. And it just goes through a transformation. It's very gradual. It does, Rome wasn't built in a day. And it's very noticeable. Okay? It starts to come in, kick in, and then you get excited because you see it happening. You start to get younger. 
you become more strong, and then the body actually changes into an into a body which is you can see it and you can touch it, but it's like light. It's like made of light, and that's an, you can call it an angel's body or a tantric deity's body. It doesn't matter. At some point, your body will change, and that's and you can do it in one lifetime if you practice tantra properly. Okay, and that's a suku. Okay, that's the physical body of a Buddha. One millisecond after you reach that, you reach the ability to emanate other bodies in other worlds and all over the place. Okay? Every person you've ever met in New York City could have been a Buddha's emanation. Could have been the emanation of one single Buddha. The family you grew up with, all the kids at high school used to pick on you, and your girlfriends or boyfriends could all be the same person. Okay? Buddhists have this ability to do that. And they do that kind of stuff. They're very patient. All right? So, when we just talk about the physical body of a Buddha, there's two parts. There's this body that's made of light, and, and, and you can reach it and you will reach it. And then there's this other body that they're emanating out like movies, and different people are seeing them. Okay? And they have that ability. That's the Rupakaya. Second part of a Buddha. Say Chuku. Chuku. In Sanskrit, Chu means Dharma. And Kug means Kaya. So you may have heard Dharma Kaya in, in the Sanskrit, okay? Chu is a general Dharma means thing, okay? Stop, thing, phenomenon. Chu, Dharma means. Let's call it Dharma, okay? It's easier. Okay? Dharma Kaya means Dharma body, your Dharma body. Now, what's your Dharma body made of? Two things, alright? Two things. What's left of a Buddha after we covered their body, by the way? There's their mind. Very simply omniscient, okay? You can see everything in the universe that ever is, will be, or was, everywhere in the universe, in one moment, okay? So the idea that bodhisattvas wait to get to enlightenment because they're compassionate is crazy, okay? Uh, if, once you get enlightened, you know the problems for the next 50,000 years of every person on this planet directly. So you can help them. You can really help them. Okay, that's a dharmakaya. Is there any other part of this person that we left out? Their emptiness, okay? Part number three. Now, they usually lump that in with the Dharmakaya. Okay? The emptiness of the Buddha is what? Body and mind. Okay? Once you've got the Buddha's body, and then you glue on the Buddha's mind, and then you throw in the, Buddha, the emptiness of the Buddha's mind and the emptiness of the Buddha's body, you've got the whole Buddha. Okay? So... Add Dharmakaya and Rupakaya and you come out with a Buddha. And that's all a Buddha is. Okay. What's the emptiness of, of the Buddha's body, for example? Okay. What's the, very briefly, uh, what, am, what do you see here? It's a hand, okay? Like you're on a karmic level, as am I, to see a hand. When I hold this cylinder up, you see a hand. Okay? If you had worse karma, and if I had worse karma, what would you see? A, a dog's leg, okay? And some, and some claws, okay? If you had much better karma, what would you see? Uh, like a deity's arm, like golden light, and, and can't be cut or hurt or, or won't get old, won't have freckles or hair, okay? Uh, and, and, mebadang, it's in, says in the Ave Samankara, you don't have to have any more freckles, okay? Uh, <laughs> so, 
So you'll have it, okay? And, and that, that's, the emptiness of my arm is that it doesn't have any nature of its own. If your karma was better, you'd be seeing Madhusri up here. If your karma was worse, you know, I'd be up here uh, playing some music for you or something, okay? And your karma is somewhere in between. Alright? And that's all. I don't have an arm. I have a cylinder. How you see it is up to your karma. Okay? That's the, that's the emptiness of the Buddha's body. Yeah? See a what as a dog? <laughs> yeah, you see, it's kind of tricky because the minute you say see a dog as a dog, the first dog doesn't exist. Yeah, so yeah, it would be your bad karma. On the assumption that a dog can't teach you as much as I can. Okay? <laughs> may not be true. All right. Okay, so those are the two parts of a Buddha. Now, what have those got to do with the three principal paths? Uh, this physical body of a Buddha you can get if you get really good at path number one and path number two okay one and two which if you remember were what path number one think of path at spiritual level you have to get to renunciation sooner or later you have to figure out that your whole life up to now has been meaningless and all the stuff you've ever worked to do everything you ever got up for in the morning was something that you're going to lose in a few weeks or months or years anyway. What's the point? You know, I admire those people that sit in bed all day depressed. You know, they, they understood it. They got it. You know, they're not crazy. They got it. Now they should get up and do something about it. That's another thing. Uh, number two is, uh, is bodhicitta. Okay? It's, it's, it's ultimate compassion for other people. Hey, if this is going to happen to me, it's going to happen to every single person I bumped in today on the street. It's a bunch of skeletons walking around New York City. They're just skeletons waiting to lay down. You know, I mean, start to go out and see that, you know, on the street. You, you get irritated when somebody bumps up against you. But look down Fifth Avenue, you know, and see thousands of heads bobbing up and down and realize that every one of them is going to die shortly. And, and you won't feel like that. You know, every one of them is in your same position. We're all going to die. I was on an airplane one time. They told us it was going to crash. Uh, we took off all our jewelry. We had to take our shoes off so we could run faster. Um, they flew around in a, in a circle for an hour and a half so the fuel would be used up because they said the landing gear don't work. You know, we're, you know a certain number of you are going to get hurt. You know, and, and, and we had an hour and a half of good death meditation. You know, like, and it, I'll tell you, the sweetest thing was that everyone started to bond together you know like it was the weirdest thing like you, we didn't know if we were going to live for another half hour or what and everyone was helping each other and people were hugging each other and, and weeping and, 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 and loving truly loving each other it was the most extraordinary thing you know and, but it's like that all the time your life is like that the whole thing is like everyone in this room is going to die if they don't practice well they're all going to die so why worry about somebody bumping you on the arm you know this guy's a walking skeleton you know, this guy's dead in a, in a few years or a few weeks or maybe tomorrow. So what's the point? And then there's some kind of uh, empathy, okay? Those two thoughts in your mind create your physical Buddha's body, okay? Get used to that idea, okay? And if you study Tantra, which you must eventually, you must, the process is very beautiful. The, because the winds, the inner winds and the mind are linked together, then the more good thoughts you have, the more your body starts to change. It's very interesting. Okay? If you have true compassion, 
and true renunciation, it affects the winds running through your channels. And that can trigger an enlightened being's body. And that's the whole point of Tantra. Okay, that's the whole, the whole point of it is to do that. The more you can fight Tamil Nungshin in Tantra, every time you have a victory over some kind of normal thought and start to think of everyone as, as being sweet fellow human sufferers, you know, your own body will start to change. Okay, every time you have that kind of thought, something happens within your channels. And if you can keep it up over a long period of time, you actually change into an enlightened being. So, you want to know how to cure your health problems, you know. These are the two things. And they really work, okay. I mean, even if you just get a little bit, your body will be much lighter, much stronger. Uh, and if you get really good at it, it'll transform into a, into a tantric deity's body. And that's the whole point of practicing tantra, okay. Uh, Chukku is brought about by the third principal path, which is what? Correct view. Like, get it, you know, why do, why do planes fall down? Oh, the, the bolts fell off the number three engine. Don't give me a stupid answer. Why did the bolt fall off the number three engine? Well, guy forgot to check it. Yeah, yeah. Why did he forget to check it? You know what I mean? I mean, what is the real reason why things happen? And you've got to study that. Right. If you study that long enough, your brain will transform into an enlightened being's mind. Okay. And it will. And even as you get closer to it, it's very cool. Because you start to see things, you start to understand things, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like things you never dreamed of. All the things you read about in the Bible when you were a kid really happened to people. Okay? It's just nobody's tried it lately. Alright? And... <laughs> And it works, okay? All those things work. All those things happen, okay? They will happen to you. You know, all the miracles, things like that. Being able to see deep things, being able to see... There's a whole world that you can't see right now because you, your mind is not used to it yet. And if you practice, you could, there's a, this is about, you know, 2% of the, way of the world, what you see so far. There's 98% there you never saw. And, and if you start to study emptiness, you can see those things. It is easy to see your future life. You know, it's easy to see the day of your enlightenment. You can, everyone in this room can do it. You just have to study emptiness, seriously. And you have to meditate seriously, okay? So that's the connection between the three principal paths and the, and the two bodies of a Buddha, okay? Oh, we got time for one more. Let me see. So there's a question here. Is there any relationship between these three principal paths and tantric practice? You know, I had a lady come up to me and say, you know, Geshe Michael, take me in a room. Give me a secret practice. You know, and I said, okay. You know, I took her in a room and I said, here it is. You know, the book you started out with six years ago on the three principal paths. And she got angry. You know, she actually got angry. She said, don't teach me this off-the-shelf Dharma stuff. You know, I want a deeper practice. You know, I want something like... Mahamudra or, or, or something sexy like that, you know. And I said, you didn't get it, you know, you don't get it. Practice these three things well. And you don't need a tantric initiation. Get it? I mean, you'll be seeing Bhajyogini in the flesh, sitting next to you, you know what I mean? You'll meet her one night, walking down 2nd Avenue and 6th Street, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? And she'll say, yeah, how are you doing? Uh, you know, it's good to see a Vajrayogini practitioner, you know, in the East Village. It's all right. You know, thank you. And, uh, and you're like, oh, you know, and, uh, 
saying, if you keep these three principal paths, you know, Buddhism 101, Lam Rim, study it well, keep it well, you will be in a tantric realm before you can say, I don't know, Vajrayogini, okay? <laughs> I'm not kidding. And conversely, impossible to get there without these three things, you know? Impo- totally impossible. You can go to, you know, open up New Age magazine, you know, 24 Lamas, highest lineage from ZZZ, you know, teaching 16 tantric initiations today, bring $48, you know, and, and you go there and they're wearing all these special hats and they're the only one who can ring the bell that way and everything else, and you get this initiation. If you don't have these three things, absolutely nothing will happen. I promise you. I've met Americans who've been trying to do that for 20 years and they didn't get anywhere and they know it. You know, that doesn't work like that. You know, you have to develop it inside of you. Okay? Uh, You have to develop it inside of you. If you do, then then those things can happen. Then those tantric initiations can have their effect. Okay? If you take a tantric initiation, you don't have these three trainings in your heart. And in particular, you don't have the tantric vows. I've met very few Americans who when they got their tantric initiations were even taught the vows. If you don't know the vows and you don't know the morality of tantra, it's impossible for it to work. It can't work. It's impossible. If you don't have these three principal paths, these dumb old off-the-shelf Buddhism 101 Lam Rim, you can't, well, nothing will ever work. Impossible. Okay? So that's the connection. Which to state it again is this. If you practice these three basic attitudes properly, you can almost automatically enter a tantric realm. If you don't practice these three, you can forget entering a tantric realm, no matter how many holy initiations you've had and stuff like that. You've got to have these three. Okay? It's what drives enlightenment. It's what drives the tantric process. Yeah. 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 yeah, he said Mahamudra really consists of the second and third paths, and that's exactly true. Okay? Uh, roughly. Okay, okay. Number nine. Mm, should we take a break or not? What time you got? No, 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 no. Hang on, let me see. <laughs> we'll do half of the next question, okay? I think one of the most important things from the first course was the ten uh, qualities of a real Lama. You know, people are always coming to me and saying, you know, I want to have my own Lama, you know, and I say, well, you've got to find them. And they say, well, what am I supposed to look for? And they say, well, all the scriptures have ten, what do you call it, qualifications of a Lama, okay? They've got to have these ten things. So, if you're wondering whether you should take a person as your Lama, and you're thinking about going out and finding your own Lama, which you must do, okay? One of the things about tantric practice also is that you must have your own Lama. You must have a Lama that you are in close contact with and that, and that who can bring you to that place. You must have a human being to bring you there, okay? A book is not enough, never was. Quotation from the current class. You can read it in the reading, you know? Never happened before, never will happen. You must have a being who possesses ten qualities, and you must make an intimate relationship with them. Okay? So, I'm going to give you the ten, ten qualities. 
And I think if you're going to teach Americans, this is the one of the most important things you can teach them. How do you recognize a, an authentic lama? Okay. You go find an unauthentic lama and you have a lot of suffering. Okay. I have a friend now who's in jail uh, due to the blessings of an unauthentic lama okay, for the next three years. All right. Very bad. You have to be careful with your spiritual real estate, who you let walk on it. You know what I mean? Uh, check them out. Make them pass certain tests in your mind. Okay, and here are ten qualities that they have to have. Say tulwa. Tulwa means uh, they are very good at practicing the first of the three trainings, extraordinary trainings. This is morality. Okay, an ethical way of life. Are they sensitive not to kill things? Are they sensitive about stealing things? Do they avoid sexual misconduct? Uh, do they avoid lying? Uh, other bad parts of speech? Uh, are they people who need a lot of physical wealth or, or money or things like that? Or are they people who've learned simplicity and, and can keep their morality? Do they keep their bodhisattva morality? You know, is their whole life dedicated to helping other people? Uh, do they keep their tantric morality? You know, are they using special methods to, to reach enlightenment quickly so they can help other people? You know, are, is this person keeping those, those kinds of morality or not? Check them out, okay? Second one. Say Shiva. Shiva. Shiva means, uh, oh, by the way, Dua means controlled, okay? But now you know what it really means. Keeping their morality all the way from what we call pratimoksha morality up to tantric morality. Okay. Shiva means at peace. Peace. They have found peace. This is a code word for a person who can really meditate well. Okay. That's the second quality that you're looking for. Do they have the extraordinary training of meditative concentration? Are they able to meditate deeply? Are they able... Do they know how to meditate? Do they know how to teach meditation? Do they meditate? Do they go into deep meditation? Okay? You want to find a person like that. Second quality. People ask me, how do you know? You know? Hey, your life's at stake. Okay? I mean, a barber, the worst they can do is mess up your hair a little bit. Right? A doctor can cut the wrong blood vessel and kill you. Uh, a bad guru can wipe out your happiness for several thousand years. Okay? If you believe in future lives. So... You, you have to check them out as much as you're able. Okay. Say near Shiva. Near Shiva. Have they attained the extraordinary training of wisdom? Meaning, do they understand emptiness and karma? Or do they think that airplanes fall down because the guy forgot to tighten the screw? Okay? Alright? Say, Yunden? Pakpa. Yunden? Pakpa. Yunden means spiritual qualities. Pakpa means better than. Better than whom? They're students. Alright? <laughs> And you got to find a person who's at a higher level. I, when I was in high school, I played tennis, okay? And uh, my coach had a rule. During the season, we could never play with someone who was worse than us. It was very interesting. He would never let us play with girls, okay? 
And uh, not that they weren't better, but anyway, we, you know, we're always supposed to play against somebody who's better than us. And, and it's the same thing with spiritual things. The teacher should be someone who's, who's obviously got a lot more experience, a lot more knowledge, a lot more spiritual savvy than you have so far. And you have to seek out people like that, okay, who are very, very highly qualified compared to you. Don't put yourselves in the hands of a person who's just starting out or something like that. Okay? This has to be a person who, who has an extraordinary amount of, of the qualities that you're looking for, and much more than you have. Okay? Okay, number five. Say, Tsunche. Tsunche. Tsunche means effort. Okay? What does effort mean in Buddhism? Joy about doing good things. Like, you've got to find a teacher who they can't think of anything better they'd like to do than to teach you. You know, they just love to do it. You know, they get excited about it. They spend all their money to do it. You see what I mean? Someone who, who really, really enjoys teaching, really, really enjoys helping you, and someone who, who takes joy in it. Okay? And they they want to work for you. Okay? Free. I mean, I would stick that in there. Okay? I mean, I've never had a teacher. There are no teachers at Sarah Monastery who get paid. Dig that? Okay? They're all doing it for free. And they support their students. When you take a student in the major monasteries, Galupa monasteries, you're required to feed them and to house them yourself. Okay? That's the contract that you make with a student. Okay? And, and that's the beauty of our lineage, I think. Dharma should be free. And, and the teacher should just be really thrilled to teach it to you and happy to give it to you. Okay? Like that. You have to try to find someone like that. Okay? Uh, number six. You will get cookies. <laughs> after 10, okay? After number 10. Somebody has to bring me some, okay? Sorry? Yeah. Sugar free. Say, Lungi. Chuk. Lungi. Chuk. Lungi means scriptural knowledge. Chuk means rich. Big bucks. Okay, this person has to be, have a big toolbox. They have to be very, very rich in scriptural knowledge. They have to know the scriptures well. They have to know the holy books well. Okay? They have to have a very wide variety of, of knowledge in all the great subjects of Buddhism. Okay? They have to have really studied intensely for a long time. Okay? So they have all this stuff ready to help you with. Okay? Say Deni Rapto. Deni Rapto. Deni means shunyata or emptiness. Okay? Emptiness. Deni means emptiness. Rapto means they must have perceived it. This I think is probably the most important qualification of all. Okay? Uh, if you can find a Lama who has seen emptiness directly, uh, it's about 10,000 times better. 10,000 times better than someone who has not. Okay? There's no substitute for it. Uh, it's like trying to learn swimming from someone who hasn't swum. You see what I mean? Uh, you want to see emptiness directly in this life. Everything's over the minute you go through that 20 minutes. You are forever changed. You see your own enlightenment directly. You know how long it will take. You see your future life. You see Buddhas. You, all your efforts should be directed towards this one goal. 
you need someone who's done it before to explain it to you. Okay? Much better if you can find someone who has gone through it and who's done all the steps uh, to explain to you how you can do it. Okay? Uh, those people are extremely rare. Okay? Extremely rare. If there are a handful on the planet at any time, it's, it's good times. Okay? Extremely rare to find someone like that. Okay? So the text says, if you can't find one, then someone who, who has a good scriptural knowledge or, or, or good intellectual knowledge of emptiness. But, but no comparison. Okay? It's, it's on the order of a million to one. If, if they have seen emptiness directly themselves, which means they are shortly going to become enlightened anyway, uh, you should try to find a person like that. You must try to find a person like that. Okay? Did you have a question? <laughs> how do you know how to recognize it? Okay? A couple of things. Okay? A person who has seen emptiness directly will not admit it directly. Period. It's part of the etiquette, the protocol of, of Aryas, is that they will not admit it directly. Okay? Uh, it's just part of the experience. Okay? So all you can really do is, is base it on their description of what it would be like to see emptiness directly. Okay? How well do they explain emptiness to you? And in particular, how well do they explain that 20-minute experience and, and what happens directly after it, the next 24 hours? You know, how, how accurately can they describe it? Then you can go back in the old books, Abhidharma, Madhyamika, Prashapadam, you can find the old, old descriptions of it by people who saw it. And does this person's explanation coincide directly with what those books say? Perfectly. And does their explanation of how karma and emptiness work together and how, how if you understand emptiness, you must be a moral person. You must keep your vows. Do they explain that whole thing very well? And, and you start, you know, I always say that uh, on this question that uh, dogs can smell people who like dogs. You know what I mean? Like, you walk into a room and you don't like a dog, they start growling. Uh, if a dog lover walks in the same room, they start wagging their tail, you know. They know somehow. If you're vegetarian, they're getting you happy. You know, there's something, or cows, you know, like, like they can sense it. You know, they have this sixth sense about it, you know. And I think you have to also trust that. I mean, there's a whole way that a person talks about it when they've seen it. And there's a whole sense that you, there's an instinct that you get that this person has seen it, you know what I mean? And, and you, have to, you have to work on that. Does what they say correspond to everything you heard from authoritative scriptures? Does what they say correspond to your own experience? You know, does what they say make sense in light of morality and vow-keeping and other arts like that? You know? and, and you have to judge it on that. And I repeat that an, an authentic Arya will not admit it directly. Okay? It's, part of their, it's part of the experience that you learn not, not to say it to people. Okay? Uh, number eight. But if a person seems fixated on this event, you know, of seeing emptiness directly, I mean, it's a very good sign. You know what I mean? Just like, this is the most important thing you have to do. And these things do happen to you when you see it. You really do see your future lives. You really do see the day of your enlightenment. And you can do it. And you must study properly to do it. Okay? And every normal American person can do it. Okay. Say, makeden. Makeden. Makeden means good teacher. Okay? Can express themselves well. 
uh, can communicate to students at their own level. They're not throwing around thousands of Sanskrit words. They're not requiring you to learn the Tibetan. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're talking, I mean, one of the qualities of a good teacher, one of the qualities of a Buddha is to speak the language of the people who are listening. You know what I mean? And, and they can express the deepest concepts of Buddhism in a way that you can easily understand. Okay. And that's, that's not a sign of stupidity or naivete. It's a sign of skill. That they can, they've thought about your level carefully. They know the way to present it to you. And they present it to you in your vernacular, in, in your language, that you can understand and that you can uh, practice yourself. And this is a sign of a, of a makiden. Okay? Number nine. Say it. Say away. Dagni. 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 means love. Dagni means the very image of love. Okay? It means the this person has to be a person who is teaching you Dharma only because they love you. Okay? They're not interested in the money. They're not interested in the fame. They don't care whether you abuse them or not. Okay? Uh, they don't care whether you respect them or not. Uh, you know, they don't care about all that stuff. They just care about you. And they want to help you. Okay? And they have no other motivation for, for teaching. They're not into it for any other goal but to get you enlightened. And they care about you for that. Okay? And you have to find a person like that. And the, the sign is generally they won't be hitting you up for, for all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and, and, and they will be very patient with their students. I mean, the, the students, by definition, a student is misbehaving at the beginning and, and saying improper things and doing improper things and, and having weird thoughts about all kinds of things. And the, the person just loves you enough to put up with that and get you over that uh, into a very nice place. But it, it takes a lot of patience and, and, uh, and love on the part of the teacher to, to go through that process. It's a long process with each person and it's, and it's no fun sometimes. But they love you and they want to do it and they like to do it and they're happy to do it. Okay? Like that. Last one, then you can have some cookies. Me too. Number ten. Mm. Say Kyoa Pang. Kyoa Pang. Kyoa means got tired. Okay? Fed up. Pang means they don't. Okay? <laughs> and it means, specifically, it means they don't care how many times they have to repeat something to you. Okay? Like you don't get it the first time, you don't get it the second time, you don't get it the tenth time, the twentieth time, you're still asking the same dumb questions. Okay? And not doing your homework. You know? And not doing what they asked you to do. And they don't give up on you. Okay? They don't get tired of you. They say, okay, come on, we'll, do, we'll go over it again. You know what I mean? And, and they're willing to keep coming back to you. And they don't get, like, fed up with your slow progress. Okay? They're willing to stick it out with you. That's called Kyoapang. Okay? These are ten qualities that you should search for in a Lama. Everybody needs their own Lama. You have to try to find a Lama. Okay? You have to try to find a Lama that you can get close to and be around constantly. It's like seeing emptiness is very similar to learning to play concert piano. It takes about the same amount of time and effort. Okay? Uh, that's totally impossible without a qualified piano teacher. Okay? I mean, you becoming a concert pianist without meeting a qualified teacher 
is about the same odds of you seeing emptiness without meeting a qualified lama and being in close contact with them. Okay? That's, that's just the way it is. So you, you have to... The odds of you getting out are hard. Uh, if you're close to a person who has these ten qualities, your odds improve by about a million percent. Okay? So it's a matter of survival. You have to find this person. You know? And if you're living in California, surfing, and they live in New Jersey, the armpit of the nation, you... You sell your surfboard and you go to New Jersey, you know. Uh, you find them, okay. You have to go find them and you have to stay close to them, okay. Uh, and they're hard to find. And you should invest the time to find them. And when you find them, you should sink your claws into them, you know, and don't let them go, okay. Very important. And every person in this room has a different personality. Everyone has a different aptitude. Everyone has a different outlook on life. You have to find the Lama that fits you. There are four Tibetan sects. You know, there are thousands of subsects. Why do they exist? Because they help somebody. You know, somebody's attracted to that, somebody's attracted to that. So God bless. You know, find the one that fits you. But then devote yourself to it and commit yourself to it. And you have to find it. You have to go on an active search to find this person. Okay? And then you've got to stick like glue to them. Okay? Or you can't, you won't make it. You have to find this person. Okay? And forget where you're living and what job you have and everything else. Once you find them, move or attach yourself to them. You know, don't, it's, the, it's the primary thing to think about. Last thing before I have your cookie, right? I always say that. Prabhupada says, look, you may not find a person like that. Or you may find a person with six of these qualities. Go for it. Okay? I mean, holding out for ten is a little hard. Alright? I mean... The main thing is find the person who has the first three. Okay. Do they keep their morality well? And we're talking all three kinds of morality. Meaning, are they moral? Are they compassionate? And are they committed to the secret teachings? Okay. Uh, second quality, do they meditate well? Third quality, do they really understand emptiness? Okay. At minimum, try to find somebody like that. Okay. should have at least those three qualities. Okay, uh, how about refreshments? Come back in about 10 minutes. Uh, somebody asked me to write the name of Pabonkar Mate in Tibetan, okay? Because that's when the projector went out. Say Pabonkar? Pabonkar. Okay, just for your knowledge, there's a place called Pabong. Uh, near Lhasa it's a big rock and uh, there was a small monastery there and there's an abbot there and he died and then Pablo Kumache was recognized as his reincarnation and you can read about it in your reading if you ever get it okay uh, we've gone through the qualifications of a good teacher unfortunately they also list the qualifications of a good student uh, and there's three okay and these come from Ayadeva. Ayadeva was about, he was after Nagarjuna, so about, you know, 300 AD, 400 AD, something like that. Very, very early. And he wrote the qualifications in a book called The 400 Verses, Shibgyapa. And I'm just going to give them to you in English, okay? The first one is, they have to be free of preconceptions. In other words, they have to be willing to reconsider their entire worldview, okay? They have to be people who are not attached to the New York Times worldview. Okay? They're willing to think about giving it up. 
they're willing to think about the possibility that the reason planes fall down is not whether somebody tightened the screw or not, but may have to do with the, the past actions of the people on the plane. Okay? They, have, they have to at least be able, willing to think about it. Okay? They don't have to buy everything. In fact, they say you're a, a bad student if you buy everything the stu- teacher says. You have to examine it. You have to be a critically thinking person. But you have to be open for possibilities. Okay? First quality. Second quality, they have to be intelligent. Okay? And intelligent in a spiritual sense, I call it spiritual IQ, is a little bit different from normal intelligence. Okay? Like, they have to be, they have to be people who, who are wondering where they came from. You see what I mean? There have to be people who are wondering why planes fall down. There have to be people who are wondering why penicillin stopped working last year. Okay? I mean, there have to be people who are curious about higher things. And not necessarily geniuses. Okay? That's not the point. Spiritually in- intellectual people. Okay? Uh, third one. They have to have some high aspirations in life. In other words, the really good Buddhists I know are people who are very concerned about death. Uh, they are very concerned about the possibility of, of being able to do miracles or, or what is going to happen to them after death. In other words, their whole viewpoint on life is much bigger and their aspirations are not to get a house and a washing machine and a better car. You can have those and there's no problem with those. But they also want to know how can I stop the suffering in the world? You know, I mean, they're the kind of people that, that when they were kids they were wondering why people suffer. And, and why animals suffer or they're like interested in bigger questions of life okay those are the three qualities uh, ne in Tibetan means you're willing to consider new options okay you're unbiased you don't have preconceptions so strong that you say it's impossible that I had a future life or going to have a future life okay and then secondly you're just intelligent you have the brains to think clearly okay about spiritual things and then thirdly, you have bigger stuff in mind than the next promotion at work. Okay? You want to know why they're suffering in the world. You want to know if people can do anything about it. And you've been that kind of person since you were young. Okay? And I don't think you'd sit through this whole thing if you're not. Okay. Uh, they say in Buddhism that your goal, one of your goals is to escape from samsara. You know, people say samsara. The cycle of rebirth, you know. And they talk about that. What would it be like if you achieved nirvana tonight? Would you look different than other people? You know, would you go someplace out of Manhattan? You know, what is samsara? Where is samsara? People tend to say, oh, my life is samsara. Or they tend to think, they equate samsara with Manhattan or something like that. You know what I mean? And, and you have to understand what's... Or, or, or they hear people say, oh, samsara is continual rebirth and what a drag. And, and it doesn't click with you because you don't believe in rebirth anyway. You see what I mean? So... What is real samsara? Samsara is the condition, okay, of having to die, of having to get old, of having to undergo change hopelessly, helplessly, okay? That's all. Forced upon you, okay? It's, it's a lack of control. And when you escape from samsara, what will it be? I mean, you, you'll escape from the condition of, of having things fall apart around you by the nature of things, your karma will be different. Okay? You won't have to get old, necessarily. Okay? 
the relationships you make won't necessarily fall apart. Uh, the money you get doesn't have to all be spent, and maybe you get more automatic. You see, I mean, things don't have to work the old way. They could work a new way. Okay. It's not a question of is there enough money in the world for everybody. We can make as much as everybody wants. You just have to do it the right way. There can be plenty of water and resources for everybody because they come from karma. They're not dug out of the earth. Okay. Uh, the, the question says, give the word for samsara in Tibetan. Say, korwa. Korwa. Korwa in Tibetan comes from a root that means to go in a circle. That's the word for samsara in Tibetan. What does a circle mean? Very, very, very simple. You don't understand your boss's emptiness. So your boss comes in and yells at you. And then you yell back at them. That's the only way you can create in the future a yelling boss. They come and yell at you again in the future. You yell back. You create the karma to see them again yelling at you. And that's, and that's like a self-perpetuating circle. Okay, that's what korwa means. Okay, your re- response to your world because you don't understand emptiness is asking for the thing to happen again. Okay, when someone yells at you, you yell back. When someone treats you bad, you treat them bad back. When someone's jealous, you get jealous. You know, like this. And it, and it's the only way, according to Buddhism, to get it to happen again. So it's like perpetuating itself. Okay, it's spinning itself, and it keeps going like that. That's korwa. If you understood the emptiness of your boss, the next time he or she yelled at you, you would shut up and break the cycle, break the wheel of life. That picture of the wheel of life, break it at number one, one o'clock, Dhammo Marikpa. Then it doesn't happen anymore. You just stop it. Unilateral truth. Okay? I choose to stop my korwa. So I'm going to be kind to the person who's bad to me. That's all. Okay? there's a question here that says, list the eight worldly thoughts, okay? They call eight worldly dharmas or something like that. And it says list them in Tibetan and you don't have to, okay? <laughs> Quote me on that. All right. Uh, here they are. Number one, being happy when you get something. Being happy when you get something. Number two, what's the converse? Being unhappy when you don't get something. Number three, being happy when you feel well. Number four, being unhappy when you don't feel well. There's a joke in Tibetan. Uh, ever since I've been ill, I haven't felt well at all. <laughs> okay? Uh, where did the other one go? Number five, uh, being happy when you become well-known. Number six, guess. (laughs) Being unhappy when no one knows who you are. (laughs) Number seven, being happy when people say nice things to you. Or speaks well about you. Number eight, no, being unhappy when they speak badly about you. Okay. These are the eight worldly dhammas. They say if you want to commit spiritual suicide, suicide. if you want to ruin your spiritual practice, then 
worry about these eight things. Okay? By the way, it doesn't refer to whether or not you get things. Okay? Like, getting things is not a bad thing. And not getting things is not a good thing. Okay? It's not a good thing. But don't get upset about it. You see what I mean? There's one thing about having good things or bad things happen. Which is good or bad, it is good or bad. But then you get upset and make it worse. You see what I mean? Or you get proud that you got this thing. You see what I mean? So don't make things worse. You will get some things because you did collect a little bit of good karma. And you will not get other things because you didn't collect enough karma to get them. But the point here is don't get too high about it and don't get too upset about it. Okay? Because then you just collect more problems. Because that's the eight worldly dharmas. Can you avoid getting things? No. Can you avoid not getting things? No. So that's not the point. You don't give up the eight worldly dharmas by refusing to take anything from somebody. You give it up by getting too happy about getting stuff and being too worried when you don't get stuff. It's pretty much out of your control now. All right? You set those commas into motion a long time ago. Don't get too excited when you get something. It'll be taken away soon enough. Don't get, don't get too sad when you can't get something. Because you can't. You know, Shanti Deva, you know. If you can fix it, don't worry about it. If you can't fix it, you also can't do anything about it. So why get upset about it? Okay. All right, so it's just like that. Those are the eight worldly dramas. Uh, two more questions, very short. This one I think you should write. And this whole class is going to be like this. If you can't take it, stay home next time. Okay? Really. Okay? We're covering 18 years in one year. Okay? I'd rather have a bunch of hard asses than worry about going over. Okay? Uh, in the course of the three principal path, they talk about the laws of karma. Okay? And you should know them. And you should teach them to the people that you teach. And when I say that you're going to be a teacher, you might become a teacher tomorrow at work. And, you know, I still have people from work. I, I left that place five years ago, essentially. They're still calling me up. What should I do about this? What should I do about that? You know, you don't have to be a guru. You, you just help people and then people will call you and talk about it. You know, you can be a, a guru to somebody in a coffee shop, okay? But you must know the four laws of karma. And this, this is the four laws of karma. Say Lengepa. 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 Leng means comma. Ngepa means definite. Okay. What does comma's definite mean? It's very simple. If you do a good thing, if you do something to help somebody, if you do something out of kindness, you can never, ever get a bad result. Period. Impossible. Okay. If you do something with a, with a crappy motivation, if you do something with a bad motivation, you can't get anything good out of it. It will be bad. Okay? Period. Jesus said it over and over and over again. Can't get lemons from apple seeds. Forget it. You know, and the same thing. Very, very same thing. Okay? So people say, well, I, 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 I decided I'd be totally honest at work, you know, and I told my boss what I really thought. And he... Uh, you know, it made me work overtime for six weeks, you know. So your laws of karma don't work. Uh, you have to get it, okay? Being truthful means that in the future everyone will believe you. That's the karmic result. And you will live in a society where truth is valued. 
If the boss gets mad at you right after you tell the truth, there is no connection. Get used to it. Buddhist worldview. Okay? The fact that the boss got angry comes from something you did negative in the past. A negative result called anger cannot happen from speaking the truth. It's impossible. Get used to it. You know, we talk a lot about my boss sending me out to buy diamonds from somebody and lie about the value and try to get $100 off or $1,000 off. And sometimes it seems to work. But it's not. It's an illusion. Okay? If you lie, the only result that can happen is that people won't believe you in the future. If they happen to give you $1,000 off on this diamond deal because you told a lie, it has nothing to do with the lie. Get used to it. It has to do with what? Being generous in my past. And there's no connection between the lie and the money. Get used to it. Okay? That's the first law of karma. And the whole appearance of things is not like that, and therefore the world suffers. Okay? If you were totally honest all the time, you'd be enlightened. Okay? Period. People ask me, should I cheat on my green card? You know, should I lie? I say, does it work every time? And they say, no. So I said, that's not the cause. You see what I mean? If you lie to get a green card, the only result that can ever happen is that people won't believe you in the future. But what if I get the green card? That's because you helped someone find a home in the past. It has nothing to do with the lie. Get used to that. The bottom line is there's no reason to lie anymore. If you believe this first law of karma, you have no need to lie anymore because it doesn't work. Get it? Prove it. It doesn't work all the time. Okay? Sometimes you tell a lie and it helps and sometimes you tell a lie and it doesn't help. That's proof that lying doesn't work. Get it? I mean, it's so simple that you don't get it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> if a lie caused a desirable result, it should work every time and it doesn't. Therefore, the lie is not causing the thing you thought it was causing. That's all. Get used to it. A bad deed, a negative action, negative thoughts can never have a good result. And everything every good that came to you had nothing to do with something bad you did. Cannot happen. Impossible. Technically impossible. Totally impossible. One atom impossible. Okay? Get used to it. What if everybody lived that way? Oh, that'd be weird. Okay. Say, le, pel, chewa. Le, pel, chewa. Second law of karma. Karmic energy always increases. Le means karma. Pel chewa means it always gets bigger. Okay? And think of uh, a walnut or somebody gave me in uh, California a redwood seed. They're, they're smaller than the tip of your little finger. The, the seeds that grow those trees are smaller. We handed them out in class when I taught karma. Everybody got like three of them, you know. These are the trees that crush houses when they fall over. And they come from this little tiny seed. Don't think that karmic things aren't the same. They are, okay? People tell me, is it okay to, have, to tell white lies? You know, is it okay to dislike my friend at work a little bit? Uh, yeah, instead of going to a hell realm, you'll just die ten, ten years earlier. You know what I mean? Things get bigger with karma. I mean, it's scary. It's the same as physical stuff, okay? Your whole body replicating itself for 70 years came from one sperm and one cell one egg and, and don't think that karmic things don't work the same they work the same one small slip in karma has its effects for years and get used to that idea that's a law of karma okay. one small lie one small irritation at somebody and, 
and, and you will have things happening to you for years. Okay, you've got to get used to that. Okay, this is the last line, okay? I just realized I told you the other questions, so you've covered everything. Uh, say, le, mache, mate, le, mache, mate. I'm sorry, there are four. You've got one more to that. Le, mache, mate means if you don't do a karma, you will never have anything happen. Okay, so in a negative way, this is comforting. I mean, if you go to work tomorrow and because of this lecture, you don't tell one lie that you would have told, your future will be much happier. Okay, I mean, avoiding even small uh, negative deeds is very powerful. Okay, if you can avoid just one a day, it's very powerful. Okay, you will never have any karma from that. Okay, if you can just keep this skin on top of this skin, you know, <laughs> when, when, the, when your boss says something, just, just once, tremendous karmic results, c- tremendous saving in karmic pain, okay, and you got to think of that, one missed opportunity for a slight bad deed is, is very, very big step for mankind, okay, it's a, it's a great achievement, nothing will happen from nothing, okay, and that's good news, all right. It also means don't go around expecting a big change in your life if you don't make any efforts, okay? If you don't learn your vows, if you don't check them every few hours, uh, don't expect a big change. Don't go to some tantric initiation and think something's going to change. It's not, okay? If you don't do the karma, nothing's going to happen, okay? Period. Okay? If you don't become a vow master, a vow-keeping expert, uh, forget it. Nothing will change in your life. You can just forget it now, you know? Uh, Better, better not to even take them. Okay? I'm talking bodhisattva vows and tantric vows. Okay? Don't expect anything to happen if you don't know them and you don't keep them. Okay? Last one. Say, Leche Chumisa. Leche Chumisa. Leche means, but if you do do some karma, okay? By the way, three ways to do karma, I'm sure you know I don't have to talk about it. You do something with your body, you say something with your words, but most importantly, you think something, okay? That's the most powerful one. Sempa Yiki know. fourth chapter, Abhidhamma Kosha. Raw karma is thinking, okay? You don't have to say something to someone or hit them. Just to think about it, just to be angry at them in your mind is much more powerful. Okay, that that makes the whole karma game very difficult. Okay, I mean it's kind of comforting the idea that if you don't punch him or don't say anything, everything's okay. It's not like that. You actually have to control your thoughts because they are raw karma, karma in the raw. They are ultimately, they are the most important karma. Sambhayikidayano means ultimate karma is thought. It's just having a thought. Okay, uh, chumisa means once you've done a karma they don't ever go away by themselves. Okay? Impossible. Okay? Karma is, your mind is a perfect video cam recorder. Okay? It, it registers every single thought. And every half thought is registered on your karma meter perfectly. Abs- you'd never get away with anything. Okay? Never. Once a thought crosses your mind, the karma is recorded in your, in, your, in your consciousness and it will come back to you. Okay? That's 
That's the fourth principle of karma. You know, it doesn't... People, it's weird, it's funny. Once you know karma well, it's a joke when you think that someone's hiding their bad deeds. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, I go in my room and make sure nobody's there. You know, I close the curtains and then I do my bad deeds, you know. Or, you know, I stole that money but it's totally okay because there were a hundred people in that room and nobody saw it drop on the floor and I got away with it. Forget it. You know, karma is collected by the act of perceiving yourself do something. Karma is collected by the act of being aware that you're thinking. And you're doing that all the time. So, you're collecting karma all the time. You can't get away. There ain't no place to... You can run, but you can't hide. Karma is, is merciless, okay? Once you have the thought, you've collected the karma. Okay? It's, it's worse if you say something, but it's still bad if you think it, okay? Uh, last thing to say is, in the Mahayana system, okay, taught by Lord Buddha, you can uh, short-circuit that karma. Okay? Otherwise, it'd be impossible to get to be a Buddha. It'd be impossible to get enlightened. Every day we have thousands and thousands of bad thoughts, even little bad thoughts, and then very few strong, firm, noble thoughts. You know? So if there wasn't some way to deal with old karmas, we'd be in trouble. And we'll talk about that uh, on another night. But it's, it's a principle of uh, short-circuiting karmic energies in your mind so that they don't come back to you. And you can do that. There is a practice for that. It's called the four powers. Okay, we'll talk about that sometime. So, there's, a, there's an exception to the fourth rule. If you undertake uh, proper purification, you can remove almost all the energy of a karma. And the diamond cutter says that, and when we get to the diamond cutter in about July, uh, we'll cover that. Okay? Uh, we'll do some prayers and then you can go. You'll get a homework tonight. That's due Thursday. I made a mistake. I said Tuesday. It's due a week from now. Okay? So I guess you can still get in on Tuesday without homework. All right? But I'm going to be very strict. No joke. Okay? Uh, something else. Monday night, uh, if you want to, there's a volunteers meeting. What time? I don't know. Huh? It's like 5.45 or 6 o'clock or something. It's in my room at 6th Street. And... We have about 30, 40 people who just hang out and they uh, eat Thai food and they eat up my Cheerios and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and then we do neat stuff together. Like uh, we're coming out with a new CD-ROM. That was done by about 20 volunteers uh, working together. So if you want to get in on that, any kind of stuff, that, you don't have to know how to do anything. We'll put you to work. So uh, if you're into it, it's just like a cool thing. We do it every single night actually. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to come and hang out, you're welcome. And We'll find you a job. So that'll be Monday night, okay? next time. Don't get scared just because it went on a little bit or there's a lot of stuff. Okay? And don't get nervous. Don't get scared. Just do it. Okay? And uh, it's very valuable. You'll appreciate it later. Okay? <laughs> All right.